Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 105 of Manage the Wild. I'm Nick Madsen. Today, we're going to be talking about sage grouse. The reason we're talking about sage grouse is right now, biologists and researchers and volunteers are going out and conducting sage grouse like counts. So I recently got contacted by a biologist asking if I would perform some. And I happily said yes. It's, it's an enjoyable experience. If you've never done it, see if you can find a way to get with somebody and go perform these counts. Now, you only have roughly 35 days. I think the end of March through the end of April is about the time frame. And right now, if they, I haven't gone out yet, but if they are lecking, they're going to be lecking on top of snow, depending on the area that they're at. But sagebrush, sagebrush, sagegrouse are an important species because they're an indicator species for sagebrush, sagebrush ecosystem and everything that that entails. When you have a, a species like sagegrouse that are starting to decline, it lets you know that the health of that ecosystem is on a decline as well. As it becomes more degraded and fragmented by energy development, ag, as well as housing and all the different things that are going on here in Utah, as well as across the Western United States. It just shows an indication that we need to be aware of all the impacts that we're having on all these species. Back in 2010, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife came out and said, we are concerned about sage grouse, and they started to begin talks about whether listing them as threatened species. And in 2015, they made the controversial call of not listing them as a threatened species, but listing them as a near-threatened species. And the reason so, it depends. It depends uh, on who you talk to. So Now, some people will say that they decided not to list them because it gave states a lot more flexibility to create their own management plans and they, there was more funding available to them because they were a hunted species and they could use that money to benefit them. And it also, their plans worked a lot better with landowners. And uh, it was pretty controversial because when they decided not to list them, the states could still hunt them. And people were upset that you have a near, hunt, near threatened species that was still being hunted. And it just created a whole lot of problems. But because they weren't listed, it allowed the states to put together their own management plans and come up with ways that they could help sage grouse without uh, the restrictions that a threatened species would have created on them, as well as on states, but on private landowners as well. Their population has it's roughly between 200 and 500,000 individuals currently. And there, there are continued efforts to this day going on to help protect, uh, protect the habitat, enhance the habitat, as well as recover some that had been lost. The current status of the sage grouse is considered a near-threatened species by the International Union of Conservation of Nature, the IUCN. They are not currently endangered, but are at risk at becoming so in the near future. In the state of Utah, where I live, they make up roughly 30% of the entire population. 
of birds. So it's a, it's a kind of a big deal here in Utah. There's a bunch of universities that have been studying them. I first started being involved with them in about 2014 and have gotten to do let counts off and on. I've also had friends that did research on sage grass where they would ride around in four-wheelers. Somebody would sit on the front with a fishing net and they would drive as fast as possible through these areas to see if they could catch them and collar them. They've come up with some different methods as well. So when we go out and we talk about lex, what are what are sage sage grouse lex? Lex are what they call a communal communal breeding ground. It's where males gather together as well as females, and the males will gather to court the females and to show which one is the fittest. They are located in areas in what they call a sagebrush steppe habitat. Now, males, the whole goal is to see who can outdance and who can dance better than all the other males. So think of a high school dance. Males, what they're doing is they're competing for the attention of the females, and they'll spread out their feathers and make them big like you've seen peacocks and turkeys. They make uh, a bunch of noise, vocalize, as well as they'll get into fights with each other. Now, the one interesting thing about these males is they have these big air sacs that fill up, and it kind of looks like a big ball on their chest. Now, females will come in and visit these areas, and they'll look at, they'll stand off on the side, and they'll look and see which male to them is the fittest and then they'll go and mate with that male. And it wouldn't be unheard of for one male in a day to mate with 20 females. And he can mate with... One male can take up to 80, even 90% of all the females. And so these males will sit there doing their best, trying to show off their stuff. And the one dude, he's literally getting all the chicks. And that's exactly how it works out. The largest and most dominant males will uh, occupy the center of the lek. So he gets center stage, front and center stage. And what they call the subordinate males, they're shoved to the outside. And they spend their time with the females looking at that male in the center stage. Now they're all dancing, trying to show off all their moves. But generally there's just a couple that get all the ladies Sagegrass leks are important for monitoring population trends. This is the one, one of the best ways that we have to see how a population is doing. You're going in, you're counting the males, you count the females, you look at how many are lacking, and it gives you a pretty good understanding of where your population is at. Now with disturbance and energy development and housing development going on and agriculture going on, it, it can present a challenge. Some historical lex sites may have been destroyed and they have to move. And the habitat's been broken up. Fire comes through, ruins a bunch of the habitat. They move to a different site. So there's volunteers as well as biologists and researchers going out trying to identify as many of these lex sites as possible. I got to work with a volunteer organization that they spent so much time in that 30 days going out and trying to identify new lex sites to show that the habitat is getting better or it's getting worse. And 
it just takes a lot of time. There are some methods that they're trying to come up with. I talked to a group out of Idaho a few years ago. Now, the technology is not quite there, but they're using drones. And they can cover these vast, large areas with drones. And they're coming up with algorithms to help them identify sage-grouse within their video. But they would fly these drones overhead and they would see if they could see any of these lex sites. Now the challenge they got is if they got too close, the birds would either stop their dancing or they would fly off completely. So there is technology out there that's helping, but it's just not quite there. The size of these leks fluctuate from year to year, depending on how, if the wind is blowing too much, you can't count. If it's raining, that's going to cause them to not dance as much, or snow. And in the spring, these are always the case. But the males tend to dance the most mid-April, and it declines as the season progresses. Females will, uh, they'll come to these sites multiple times during the breeding season, and they can mate with multiple males. It doesn't just have to be with one. So over the last 15 years, there's been a whole bunch of research that has been focused on lex and understanding lex and understanding mate selection and genetic diversity as well as sexual selection because these males are really only doing this because the females are encouraging them. And that's one of the ways to identify who's the fittest is the way these females have chosen. And that's overall fitness, feather display, how aggressive they are on these leks, and how well they can just dance overall. And there's a bunch of conservation that's still going on to this day and that's going to need to go on for a long time. In conservation, it's been it's challenging because you have federal lands that are being impacted, state lands that are being impacted, as well as private. And you have to get all these parties together because if you don't, then you can fix two of them. But if a lek is on a private property and the landowner doesn't see a need for these guys to be there, then he could go in and wipe out that entire area and destroy that crucial habitat. Utah came up with what they called the Utah Greater Sage-Grouse Plan, and they frequently update it. But they created uh, an overall management plan for the entire state, and they then created these smaller areas to um, help with conservation, as well as make it a little more flexible because not every everyone's the same. So they believe, researchers believe, that the decline is mostly caused by habitat loss and fragmentation from human activities, from energy development, agriculture, urbanization, that urban spread. And it's the habitat, that sagebrush habitat, is critical for the survival of sage-grouse. That's what they need. That's what they love. They, now, it doesn't all have to be old-growth sagebrush. It, it doesn't need to be seven feet tall. They need to have quite a mosaic because the uh, lecking sites are, are almost virtually bare of sagebrush. But then once they lay their, their eggs and they're looking for protection from crows and ravens and all the other predators, coyotes, then they need that cover of the older stuff to, to provide protection. So they need everything in between. When they created this plan, they got together with 
federal agencies, landowners, stakeholders, and everybody who was interested with sage grouse, and they came up with one uh, a plan to to help mitigate or reduce their the destruction. And the plan includes measures to reduce human disturbance on sage grass populations, including noise and light pollution. And the things that it focused on were sagebrush habitat, sagebrush restoration, grazing management, and invasive species control. And so that's where most of your money ended up going. So it'll be fun. I'm excited to be able to go out this year and to see... Um, there's a lek that I've always wanted to go to. Uh, some years it has 80 birds, some years it has 50, some it has more. I, I'm excited to go out onto this lek site. I've never been to one that big. Every time I ever went out, I saw like five or six. They were all smaller. And so and this one's really popular, and I'm excited to be able to go out. If you've never had the chance, you should be able to. After talking about all the things that we have done now, the negative population still declining and we're getting closer to being listed as threatened versus further from being threatened and that's just because of all everything that we're doing has an effect they put uh there was a lek here's an instance there is a lek that i visited with a biologist and uh, the lek was a really popular lek and they put a really tall tower by this lek and they put a camera on it because uh, they were concerned this is one of the parts that gets a lot of weather and they were concerned about uh, the traffic and the flow and they wanted to be able to look at the weather and see if there was an accident because this is just a high accident area and so a hundred yards from where this lek is they put this large tall tower with a camera on it. And the challenge that they created is this is now exactly where the eagles and hawks and owls and all those things sit and wait for these birds to come out onto the lek site. And it's just these things that we don't even think about. Putting fence posts everywhere is just a way to get these predators a little higher up off the top and into areas that puts them in a better position to prey upon these animals. So it isn't just energy development. It could be a broken down car. It could be a tower holding a camera. It could be fence posts. It could be a water well. All these things that we do and change habitat just causes more and more problems. And so hopefully the story will have a great outcome, but... Knowing how history works, it may not. I don't know. But thanks for listening. Hope you guys have a great day. Stay wild.